Please join with me in prayer. Spirit of the living God, open our hearts and our minds for what you have for us this day. Amen. Before moving back to Oregon, Ken and I lived in Minnesota. And most every time we made the trek from St. Paul to visit my dad in Eugene, I ended up with the challenge of finding room in my suitcase to take something home from my past. And I remember stuffing my mother's old yellow Pyrex mixing bowl into my luggage, you know, the one with the set, blue, red, yeah, green. And I also remember taking a large well-worn fork that was imprinted with the words US Navy. It certainly wasn't worth anything. It just held memories of my mother using it to make pie crusts. On one of our last trips, I acquired a set of quilt blocks that had never been stitched together. Each item held heart value. And what we are given by the writer of the book of Joshua is pieces of material from various sources that offer us snippets of history and memories that are welded together like a collage. The result is often a little rough, but like any oral tradition, we're invited into segments of the story. It's part of our faith album. And like any mementos, we are given memories and insights into our own history and changing patterns. The book of Joshua specializes in the theme transition. In order to more fully appreciate today's story, we need to back up and review what has taken place. The last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy brings closure to the leadership of Moses. And we are given a final image of him standing on Mount Pisgah, viewing the promised land with all the emotion that must have been there after having led a raggedy band of slaves out of Egypt and then through a 40-year rebuilding in the desert. It was the rawness of the wilderness experience that became the setting to help train guide and empower the people in preparation for their entry into the promised land. At the age of 120, he stood on the mountain, took in the sight of Canaan, and shortly thereafter he died and was buried in the land of Moab. The Israelites then entered into a 30-day period of mourning. But before his retirement, Moses had turned over the leadership role to Joshua, who had been in training for years. And there is a, a trickster element to the story as the Israelites come to the Jordan River and discover that it was at the flood stage. It had to have been an overwhelmingly discouraging experience for both leader and people as they encountered the barrier to the last segment of their journey to the promised land. For three days, they camped and waited, 
For three long days, they lived with their doubts and fears while keeping the kids fed and occupied while the leadership went in and out of meetings. And I suspect that there were probably some side meetings behind the tents where grumbling could be heard about how this new leader just wasn't cutting it. And if we only still had Moses. On the third day, the plan was announced. The people were to be purified before God to do spiritual work. We must learn how to carve out time and get quiet, center ourselves, get grounded. Spiritual work requires listening time, time to listen to the still small voice within. It also often means that we have to say no to something or someone in order to create the space to do the inner work. Joshua instructed the people as to the proper distance that was needed between the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant and the folks following. The processional began. The priests came to the raging river and the great faithful priests stepped their feet into the water and we are told that the waters backed up. Instructions were given. All 12 tribes were to send a representative to take a stone from where the priests had stood and place them in a monument representing God's faithfulness. The dry land crossing gave them an opportunity to move towards something new, a new calling, a new vision. Their lives were to drastically change from their desert way of living to a new unknown way of life in Canaan. So what is it about rocks that so many of us find intriguing? I grew up with a granddad who collected rocks. The long driveway to their ranch farmhouse was lined with huge rocks that he had gathered over the years. And I remember in particular, a huge amethyst rock sliced in half that rested on a shelf in my grandparents' dining room. As a child, the beauty and wonder of the purple glass fascinated me. My dad carried the stone gathering to another level by taking classes where he learned to tumble rocks and polish rocks. One of the most powerful scenes in Steven Spielberg's production of Schindler's List happens at the end of the movie as the Holocaust survivors pick up stones and place them on the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. Perhaps that tradition came out of the story from the Hebrew scriptures. As an interim pastor, I represent the reality that we are indeed in the midst of a transition. But I also believe that the pandemic has compounded our transition because we have no idea when we will be fully able to be back together in our meeting house. We don't know when it will be safe for all of our children to be once again on the quilt listening to time with children. We don't know what Advent and Christmas Eve will look like this year. 
This morning during our 9.30 educational hour, we had the opportunity to hear the stories, some of the stories that have emerged during this very trying season of life. And very soon, the search committee will be gathering data regarding our community of faith, and they will put it into a document to be handed out to those interested in being considered to serve as a pastor of community life and outreach. Next year, our congregation will celebrate its 100th anniversary. And in light of this ancient text, I wonder what stones of remembrance will be held up as part of our faith journey. So I put in a call to Philip Hostetler on Friday because when it comes to church history, he is number one on the information list. I asked him to recall some of the significant transition moments in the life of the church. So he began with the stone of 1955, when this faith community was no longer designated as a mission, but became an independent congregation. The church building was then located near the now Pearl District. And it was his father who left the role of missionary and transitioned to the title of pastor of the church. Some of our long-standing members will claim Marcus Smucker as a stone of remembrance. He was the first seminary-trained pastor. No longer were pastors chosen by lot, which I personally find fascinating. There would be a stone marked 1969 when the congregation negotiated with the Quakers and bought this church here on 35th Avenue. The following pastor, <coughs> Ralph Lynn, contributed a stone to the monument because of his influence in helping the congregation to be more accepting of divorce and remarriage. And many in this community of faith have never known any other pastor than Rod Stafford. During his 20 plus years as lead pastor, a significant theological stone of remembrance was offered when the congregation voted some years ago to become a more inclusive congregation. Ballots were cast as to whether this church would become a place of fully welcoming members, no matter one's sexual orientation. One of the most sacred lines in our long welcome statement is the acknowledgement that we don't all agree, but that we do trust the spirit will grant us wisdom and grace to love one another as God loves us all. The beauty of having multiple staff members is that there is a greater ability to connect with a broader swath of people. Memory rocks come from various staff members, Rachel Ringenberg Miller, Kurt Weaver, Britt Carlson, Rachel Joy. And in my conversation with Philip, he spoke about how 
head coverings just kind of slightly disappeared. In fact, they disappeared completely. But while music gradually came fuller and deeper and more so into the life of this church, and it's hard to imagine not having the variety of music and musicians that we are blessed to have. As I looked forward to the future plans of family promise to house those in need of shelter in our own building, or the work that is being done on the anti-racism audit, I suspect that these will become community stones of remembrance. The strength of Stephen Ministers has been a solid rock of support to so many. And so now I invite you into the story. If you were to come forward to offer a stone of remembrance to a collective monument, offering thanksgiving to God, what would your stone represent? Sometimes our stones of remembrance are found in heartfelt moments of a conversation with someone who reaches out to us in a time of grief or loss of some kind. Maybe it happens when you hear a snippet of a hymn and you find tears welling up and trickling down. Or perhaps a moment has come during an adult education class where something strikes you deeply. Or perhaps it's over a cup of coffee when you are so grateful to have a listening presence and someone who cares about you. Sometimes it happens in watching another adult interact with our children in such a way that we know it makes a difference. We are in the midst of a crossing. There is something about the Jordan that reminds me of the danger of this pandemic era of life. And we're being asked, like the Israelites, to trust God for how we are to navigate. In the midst of this liminal season, we are being called to trust in ways that haven't often demanded this much of us. In the midst of mask wearing, in the midst of sorting out whether or not we need a booster shot, in the midst of hand sanitizing, in the midst of staying home, to stay isolated for our health, in the midst of conflict with relatives and friends in our divided country. May we never forget that we serve a God who has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Amen. And now as we <clears throat> sing our hymn, I invite you to come forward, just like we do on Communion Sundays, and I invite you to take a stone of remembrance from either the table or the basket, 
And let this stone be a reminder to you that God is faithful. God is with us in the crossings of our individual lives, as well as the crossings of our community of faith.